0: Hello, hello, my friends. Hello, peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi with Mateen Rokhsefat. Welcome to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. Speaking of which, peaceful bridge makers, I... I have a sad news to share today. One of our peaceful bridge makers and one of our guests that was very, very dear to me and to my audience passed away, passed away this week and my Deep, deep condolences to her family and to her friends. So, Lale Bakhtiar was an Islamic and Sufi scholar. Lale was the first American Muslim woman translated Quran from Arabic to English. Lale wrote and edited more than 70 books, and she was a scholar in residence in Qazi publication in Chicago. She was 82 years old. Again, my condolences as mine and my team to Lale Baghdadiar family and her friends. We we lost a great woman. Speaking of peace and speaking of peace building and peace authors, here it is. I mean, I have a great privilege of speaking with my authors who has dedicated their life to building peace and making peace among small groups and large groups. Uh, so I have three talented writers uh, who has uh, written a book Uh, so i do have the book here i just want to show the book compassionate conversation how to speak and listen from the heart i am going to bring each one of my writers to the screen Diane. Diane Hamilton is an award-winning professional mediator. She teaches Zen meditation. She is the executive director of Two Arrows Zen. Through her organization, Diane offers training programs to personal development and advanced facilitator training. Welcome, Diane. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Excellent, very good. I have Gabrielle Menegal. So, do I say the middle name right, Menegal?
1: It's Italian, so it's Menegali.
0: Menegali. Okay, it even sounds more fascinating. Menegali. I love it. So, Gabrielle Menegali Wilson is a leadership coach, organizational change consultant, and one of the authors for Compassionate Conversations. Gabe as referred in the book is a peace builder with specialty in diversity and inclusion. And I have with us Kimberly Law. Hello, so Kimberly is uh, the other author of Compassionate Conversations. Kimberly is conflict resolution and negotiation specialist. She helps conscious leaders and teams to level up their human relationships in order to transform conflict into opportunities. I am so so excited. I also want to bring my team to the screen so then we have everyone who is working for this program. So everyone, welcome so dearly. Thank you so much for being with us for this program.
2: Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, Absolutely. Really happy to be here.
0: Yes, uh, Martin is on the back screen helping me out to just uh, figure out all of the details about this program. But for the sake of starting our conversation, I, I really would love to you, each one of you, if you could please share a story about your childhood or something that you really resonates with you and you want us to know about you. So Diane, I'm going to start with you.
3: Okay, I think uh, maybe what I'd like to share is that um, I've been a practicing meditator for very many years. I started meditation formally in my 20s, but I think it came because I spent so much time as a child riding horses in the mountains and got very used to, to sitting upright and being quiet and listening and just simply being available. So that's a big part of my background is my relationship to animals and nature.
0: Uh, wow, amazing, amazing. My daughter, 10-year-old, loves horses. And I'm she, sure she's gonna listen to the program. I'm okay, sure. Wonderful. <laughs> yes, yes. It, So yeah, can you tell us something about yourself that you would like us to know?
1: Yeah, I think well, thank you again for having me on the show and for having us on the show. I'm 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 the product of a black US um father, and my mother is of European descent, but she was born in Brazil. She's a she is white, and the conversations in my household were always about our differences. And you know, I think when my parents got married, some folks on my dad's side of the street weren't too thrilled about their partnership. But once I came onto the scene, uh, people cozied up to me and they cozied up to my my parents, and so there is this way that. Integrating our differences has always been part of my life and part of my journey.
2: Excellent. Excellent. And Kim, yes. Hi. Hello. Um, can I share about me? So I was born in London and my parents were Malaysian Chinese. And I grew up wondering, having questions about belonging, having questions about how to connect with people, and moving around a lot when I was younger between the UK and Hong Kong and Singapore, I just found myself being really observant of different cultures, of different ways of expressing, of different ways of having difficult conversations. And so I suppose I was just sort of grew up with this inquiry of like, how can we meaningfully connect? And what would it be like to actually, you know, learn from our differences in a way that's enlivening and and actually bonding and does, does good for our relationships? rather than creating you know, fear or suspicion. So yeah. Excellent
0: segment, excellent segment. So speaking of which compassionate conversation, compassionate listening, why is it so difficult? Whoever would like to go first.
3: <laughs> well, Diane, I, can, I, I can go, go. I, can, uh, I can begin. I think we're, we're natural listeners and uh, we have all the equipment we need in terms of being able to receive a message and to feel what someone else feels and to take in and empathize with the experience but it's very difficult for us to hold two things in the mind at once so usually our own experience is front and center and in order to really be able to listen compassionately we actually have to let go and set aside our own opinion, our own reference points, our own experience, and we're not very good at that. So once we can set our own view aside, it becomes much easier to listen, but that's where the challenge is.
0: That's where the challenge is. So how
3: do you do this in in group gatherings? Well, if you ask a group, so one of the things that you can read about in the book compassionate conversations is that when we set up and the three of us work together lots of times with very different size groups when you begin a conversation one of the things that we always do is we set create a set of ground rules and almost inevitably when you ask a group would you like one of these ground rules to be that we listen well everybody agrees and so it's simply a matter of, of getting agreement that we're all going to practice listening Sometimes we'll take turns and reflect what we heard people say, but that as soon as we start not listening as facilitators or people in the conversation, we can interrupt and say, hey, let's make sure that we're really hearing one another. So I think getting agreement or creating a ground rule is one way to do it. Most of us can do it when we're reminded. Mm -hmm. So what are the ground rules uh, for your groups, Gabe?
1: Yeah, so the ground rules that Diane's referring to, we, we have a set. They're also in the book, Compassionate Conversations. The first one is before each other. I'll just list them out, and if you want to go into them, you can. Before each other, listen well, talk straight or just real talk, support and challenge. Praise is really important, particularly in conflict, conversation where there is conflict. And there's a confidentiality agreement with respect to the privacy of the space that we can be free to be who we are and show up as we will.
0: Mm-hmm. So, ground rules of compassionate listening, Kim. Are they missing anything?
2: <laughs> ground rules for compassionate listening. we oh, I, mean, I think. I think one thing that I would just love to encourage people into when they hear about this this ground rule or this suggestion, is to just think of a time when you have felt so personally comforted, seen, you know, valued for who you are. I, I think that I would encourage people to keep that in mind. It, like, it can be such a nourishing human experience. And particularly if for that person, maybe for you, you're bringing something forward that's been challenging, involves suffering, maybe involves referring to a legacy that you come from and so it's something that you carry with you into the now. And so compassionate listening, I think, offers us this real gift of being seen on our own terms. And I think that it's a gift that we can offer each other And it's something that's very worth our practice, because if we know how good it feels, then surely we're going to also want to be able to know how to create that experience for others, too. Absolutely. One thing I love about the book is that
0: you are somehow vulnerable because you are sharing your personal stories. So it's about you, and that makes it really fascinating. So therefore, I decided to be a bit more vulnerable myself and share a story and get your opinion about, honestly, what are what might be some of the best ways. So it's me and Julie. We are a, a Muslim and Jewish, and we are managing Sisterhood of Salam Shalom. So often we st- we decided to just stay away from Palestine and Israel. Because it's very contested, it's very difficult thing to talk about. And then each time that we started talking about, so people get agitated. So what is your suggestion for us in our group? We are about probably 20, 25 people. And we, we, we do our best not to take side. We do our best to listen compassionately. But we, 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 we need to learn a lot. So what are the first lessons you think we need to do in our group? Gabe, go.
1: Yeah, I think uh, we'll go around the bend here. But the ingredient I would throw into your group would be just to get really clear on what the shared intention of that group is. And we talk a lot about this in the book. There's a lot of difference in conflict, of course. It's always important to assert the sameness, the things that we have in common, and that shared intention is a very reliable place to begin as an anchor point to come back to, especially when things get difficult, almost as a way of remembering why we're in this conversation, as a way of staying in it more fully.
0: Mm-hmm. hmm So staying in it fully and shared intention, what else should we try, Diane, do you think?
3: Well, I think it helps to know a little something about how our nervous system works and to know that when we agree and we're the same, our nervous system relaxes. And as soon as we start to differ, the nervous system gets excited. And the more we differ, the nervous system becomes threatened. So I would suggest That you start by creating a shared intention, like Gabe mentioned, and a period of time where you're going to start out and give 15 minutes to everything we agree about in relationship to the conflict. And then 15 minutes, what do we disagree about? And really expect that you're not gonna feel at ease when you talk about the differences and then return for 15 minutes to what we've learned and what we agree about by being willing to listen to our differences. So start with agreement, move into difference, move back into agreement and feel what happens in your body.
0: Kim, so do you think that we can do this without a mediator? Because almost all the time you fail if we are just going right into the conversation and there is no one in between to guide the whole thing.
2: Yeah, sure. Oh, well, I suppose the gift of a mediator, or what would be so wonderful, is to have that impartiality or pro-partiality being for everyone. So it, it can be so helpful to have that person. At the same time, though, I trust that the goodwill in our human relationships and our curiosity as human beings, and also hopefully for many of us, the capacity to be reflective, be reflexive of who we are, how are we coming across. I, I, yeah, I believe in all of us human beings like having that, and it's something that we can cultivate and grow. And the more that we have the ability to take perspectives on ourselves, and the willing to be willing to be humble and receive feedback from others, I think we can go a, a long way without mediators too. And I imagine from the ways that you're speaking, and from what I think I'm learning about your organization and the group of you, your people are coming together with strong hearts and a care about peace. And so I think that would set you in very good stead. Excellent. I I wonder what happened, why you decided you,
0: th- first of all, tell me, how did you meet? I mean, how did you meet each other?
2: Well, I can start with my, my way into yeah. it. I heard Diane on a podcast, mm-hmm. maybe like eight years ago or something like that. And I was in a different space time in my life. I was still a lawyer. I was in Singapore, actually, at that time, sitting by a river, listening to this podcast and thinking like, oh wow like what is being described this way of being i don't know expanded my perspectives on how to engage conflict and furthermore how to bring in some of the more spiritual dimensions to the work and so that's what kind of really turned me on to diane's work and that's the entry point i can share and then how did how did you reach out to her oh um how did i reach out to you then i think maybe i i got drift of her website started listening to more things when diane brought out her first book everything is workable it's like turning point in my life and so the invitation then years later to co-author among the three of us is just like the most beautiful full circle in my life excellent excellent Uh, gabe
1: yeah um i think i was around 25 and you're
0: 25 years old
1: no then i'm i'm 33 now which is not (laughs) much (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah you could say i was initiated into some transformative experiences like i had some health issues there were a lot of questions i was asking myself about what it means to to be a human being honestly i was seeking for teachers Uh, which is a whole other other story in and of itself, but there was a desire for a teacher. And Diane represented two things that were critical in my life. One was meditation, and then two was integral theory, which we weave in the book um, throughout. We don't explicitly talk about it too much, but integral theory is just a holistic way of relating to human development. Let's put it that way for now. And she embodied both of those, and I was bold enough, shot some emails to many different email addresses and, and one came back and we connected that way
0: excellent so i'm not going to bore you diane with the same question it seems that all the points goes back to you but when i was reading the book i i mean i kept reading and hearing meditate zen meditation can you tell us what is zen meditation
3: so med- meditation is a fundamental, very basic spiritual practice. Mother Teresa said that when one prays, one speaks to God. And when one, one meditates, one listens. So usually it, usually people who perform meditation do it in some sort of sit- sitting posture, either on the ground or on a chair. And the basic point is to be grounded and upright and to allow the heart to be extended. And then to by using the breath using the breath to quiet the mind and to really turn down kind of the volume on language and activity in our cognitive mind and to actually become present in the here and now and so by turning down language we turn down our referencing past and future we come pre- become present in the here and now deeply available to our intuition to our natural energy and in this case to the natural great peace which is our true nature Our truest nature, when the mind is quiet, is peaceful. So meditation is the vehicle for accomplishing and really um, entraining oneself to experience peace, regardless of conditions. Why do we call it Zen? Um, There are are different schools uh, in the Buddhist tradition. There's the, the Southern Indian school. It's called Theravada. It, it moves through Burma and Thailand. And then uh, there's Tibetan Buddhism in Tibet. And then Zen is the Buddhism that kind of moved from China through East Asia, through uh, Korea and Japan, and then eventually to the West. So um, Zen is the, the Buddhism that's indigenous to China, to Japan and Korea. Is it? Is,
0: is this a name of a person or a school of
3: thought or a
0: school of practice?
3: It's a school, it's just a school of practice. It's called Chan, Chan. in uh, China and Zen in Japan.
0: Excellent, excellent. Okay. So, Gabe, what are the main char- characteristics of listening with heart?
1: Oh, golly. That's a great question. So, um, Diane is off she likes to compare meditation to listening. And when we're listening wholeheartedly, what we're doing is really relaxing our own points of view, relaxing our body and mind in service of receiving the points of view of another, right? And in the act of listening, obviously there is the intention of comprehension. Like I want to understand what the other person is saying, of course. And when we're listening with our whole body, with our, with our heart, we're also picking up the nonverbal communications of people. And in reflecting back what we listen to, we want to give the person the experience of being understood, but also heard like really have, giving that person the experience of, of feeling received is tremendously relaxing to that other person who is speaking. And in a very fundamental way, listening is kind of the gold star skill in creating sameness, right? In joining with that person in being the same.
0: Kim, but when we are not listening compassionately, what are we missing? What are we
2: missing? Um, we're missing the opportunity to open ourselves up to someone else's reality, to their sort of human experience. We're missing out on the opportunity to connect with them meaningfully from a place of curiosity without just doing what we might do habitually or unconsciously, which is bring in our own storylines about what's happening, what the other person's experiences, why they are the ways that they are. Um, We have a lot of cultural, you know, cultural ways of being that we carry with us. And so we're missing out on the opportunity to kind of cut through that and go to something more Just meeting people where they're at and giving them that opportunity to like share with us. It's kind of a privilege to be able to hear someone's story, you know, on a profound level. Um, So that's what I'd say we're missing out on when we don't listen compassionately. Absolutely. I just
0: realized that in every episode I mention, I am from Iran, from Iran, from revolution, from war, war correspondence. So I've seen lots of casualties, dead bodies, lots of big men fighting, all of those. But here's the thing, coming into the peace and reaching out to being in the state, in a state of peace, it's damn difficult thing. It's damn difficult. And and I wonder why it's so difficult <laughs> to, and, and I always think that we cannot re- reach peace without going through war it's my understanding of news and media and coverage and blah 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 but what i wonder is this i think this is true <laughs> is this true and why it's difficult to go through all of those process to basically and finally understand that this is where we should be diane would
3: it be okay if I just reflected what I heard you say? Because I felt it was very powerful. Yeah. So I'll start there and then I'll get to your question. But basically, Sarah, what I heard you say is that that you spent, you were from Iran and you've spent a lot of time both growing up and also in your profession in situations of conflict. And you've seen the devastation and you've seen the injury and you've seen the death. And mm-hmm. our our impulse towards war is very, very real for you. So because of that, you have a really strong understanding of how hard it is for human beings to choose peace and to really cultivate and deepen and exercise our capacities for peace. And I would say why it's so difficult for us is because through our evolutionary history, we viewed other people as threats. And we, like, we have always fought. And basically, we're starting to outgrow that. There's some research that's been done. And um, Stephen Pinkers has done some research at MIT that says, actually, we actually are becoming less violent. So your point is exactly true. It's very difficult for us. It's our default mode. We tend to go towards fighting and towards protecting ourselves in that way. And gradually, as we mature as human beings, it should become easier and does.
0: Yeah, inshallah. We say in Islamic tradition, inshallah means God willing. But yeah, uh, what? yeah, what, what do you mm-hmm. think, Kim and Gabe? Do you think reaching to the state of peace is damn difficult? <laughs>
2: um, well, one thing that I, I'd love to speak to, and this is a really, it's a really big question and it's something that I also do think about very much, like what does it take for us to change maybe is one way that I might think about it. Um, and I think there's something true in what you're saying that sometimes we need to go through the conflict, like we can't bypass it. Like there's a reason why it's happening. I was recently rereading the graphic novel version of The Alchemist and they're looking down on a scene and there's there's tension, there's tension, there's, there's rebels out there, you know, we're not sure what's happening. And one of the characters says this war could take a while because God is on both sides. Mm. and it really deeply moved me, you know, and I really could feel into that. I could feel into, like, what are the the needs, the desires, the hopes of people on both sides, and very often, you know, if we sort of crystallize the essence, it's for safer futures for our children. It's so that they won't have to go through what we did so that we can have access to the water and share it fairly with our people. You know, these are actually very tender, pure, and very humane sort of aspirations, and so I do think, like, the conflict is happening because we haven't somehow found the more inclusive solution so that these things are both given their space and then worked with in parallel. Mm-hmm. You know, like how can they, how can we weave together a story of the future that will meet all of those legitimate needs and hungers that we have? Um, so that's what I would say is like, yes, sometimes we do need to go through the conflict and that we don't want to get afraid of it because we can't, cope with it and also like you know we have things like cancel culture and just cutting people off and these days and I, I, my, I have sadness when I think about that because I think there's something right in all the sides and if we can learn to yeah weave that story together to include all of our humanities then we're doing something very real with the conflict so that we can transcend it. Mm-hmm. Inshallah
0: and Inshallah. Gabe <laughs> do you think peace is difficult or is it just my assumption?
1: I'm I'm with you. We're the same in that, Sarah, for sure. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you to Diane and Kim. Just I'm I'm very moved by your sharing, and I think there's a lot of wisdom in your framing, Sarah, with respect to I think we need to go through it, as Kim was pointing to. Absolutely, there's an intelligence in conflict. Conflict, as Diane says, is super good news, All right? And so, from a certain point of view, when conflict arises it could signal to us if we choose to. And I think it always boils down to the choice, Sarah, for me, I always have to choose to engage in a compassionate conversation. It's not something that just happens because it happens. It happens through my own choosing. And when I make that choice, I will be transformed. Whether the conversation results in a good end, I will be different for having made that choice throughout that conversation. But I think that there's something, compassion arises at the same time as suffering does, or it arises to meet suffering, right? Compassion is this movement towards suffering and it's resolution in a way. And so I think that to, in that from that point of view, it's an opportunity for us to make that choice. It presents us the choice to be more peaceful, to be more compassionate, and it's for us to make that choice. So I think every time we do, it's a step in the direction, and it's a long one, for sure. Uh-huh.
0: Absolutely. Inshallah. So stay put with me. I'm going to come back. You are watching To Peace Mindedly, a podcast show featuring peaceful bridge makers. We are live on many social media channels on Facebook, LinkedIn, Periscope, YouTube. It's very easy to find us. Also, the same program goes live on 11 podcast channels, and it's very easy to find our authors and our guests. For next episode, I'm talking with Shahla Haeri, an associate professor of anthropology and former director of the Women's Studies program at Boston University. Haeri's latest book, Unforgettable Queens of Islam, Succession, Authority, and Gender, is a landmark study of extraordinary biographies of Muslim women rulers. Haeri picked uh, her queens from medieval Yemen, India, modern Pakistan, Indonesia, to showcase Muslim women's power when the written history of Islam is overwhelmingly masculine. These women reached the height of their political time, and we are going to learn a lot. They are uh, both uh, ancient queens and also the recent Muslim women superpower that we are going to learn about them. After that, I'm talking with Jessica Gudo, author of After the Last Border Two Families and the Story of Refugees in America. It's going to be Tuesday, November 3rd. It's election day, and I. <laughs> probably I'm begging you to please vote because in my opinion, I covered many, many presidential elections in many different countries. So I believe that this is one of the most important elections of our lifetime. And I'm hoping that you truly, truly decide to cast your vote. I have already voted for the record. After Jessica, we are talking with Sertaj Sahil Koglu about women desire in Turkey, believe it or not, women desire. So I am very excited about the uh, conversation and about uh, Sertaj's uh, research, because for longest time, for longest, longest time, at least a portrait of Muslim in the Middle East, in the Gulf region, is that they are backward, they are oppressed, they are not sexy, they are not this and they are not that. But we're going to prove everyone wrong. I'm hoping that we're going to prove everyone wrong. For this hour, we're talking with three amazing authors and peacemakers, peace builders, peacekeepers. Their book, Compassionate Conversations How to Speak and Listen from the Heart, Diane Musho Hamilton, uh, has dedicated her life to Zen meditation, peace building and Peace Advocacy. When she directed the Office of Alternative Dispute Resolution for the Utah Judiciary, Diane established meditation program. Throughout the court system, she won several prestigious awards for her work. Her accolades include the Utah Judicial Administration Awards, the Utah Council on Conflict Resolution, Peacekeeping Awards, and many others. Diane runs Two Arrows Zen, and one of the three authors for Compassionate Conversations. And I have a Gabe Wilson is the organizational change consultant and peace builder with, with specialty in diversity and conclusion. His work is focused on social justice, purpose-driven enterprises, design thinking and human development. He is referred to Gabe in the book and this is what I'm calling him. And Kim Lo is a peace builder and negotiation specialist. Her past work includes the peace building and meditation research mediation research. Advocacy for the United Nations, advocacy for international NGOs and universities. Uh, she is a lawyer for international mediation and legal litigations in London and Singapore. She's referred to Kim in the book, and this is what I'm calling her. Okay, okay, so excited about the book. Their book, Compassionate Conversations, How, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. I wonder, in the book, in, uh, at the end of every chapter, you offer practice. Okay. And you offer how to do things. What are the some of the practices that you really like and you think that we should do?
1: Um, I won't go into it because we've talked about it so much, but listening. listening is a gold star practice. Do it. It's like the first thing to go away in conflict is listening.
0: How to listen is important mm-hmm. or just for Listen for the sake of listening
1: both. But I want to emphasize the willingness to. Just the, the willingness, the choice to listen, and then you can practice for sure. But just the intention to listen is, is so important, so important. You know, another one that we talk about, I think it's chapter 15. We have a chapter on shadow. Um, and not to get too much into the term, but basically we project, we put, we ascribe characteristics to the people we're in conflict with that actually might be characteristics that we have that we're also modeling. They're so aggressive. Like that group is so aggressive. Right. But the also truth of the matter is that maybe my group is aggressive. Right. And so just doing that work helps establish greater humanity and understanding with the party that you're in opposition when it's like, Oh, I totally, I can, I can understand why they're aggressive. Right. Cause mm-hmm. so I understand the reasons why I'm aggressive. That's a very helpful practice.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a poignant point because it brings me to my next question. Diane, we keep talking about listening with heart and and listening and speaking with heart. But sometimes you are in a in a space where people are just too aggressive. So how to handle those people, you think?
3: Well, it just, again, it kind of depends a little bit on what the intention is. But let's imagine for a moment, I'm in a conversation with a family member. And for just a moment, we're we're talking about the election. And every everyone knows the election is, depending on your perspective right now, really difficult to talk about. And then all of a sudden, my family member starts to behave towards me in a way that I find aggressive and kind of assaultive. and And I might be able to say, hey, I really want to hear what you have to say. I actually really care about it. But what I notice is you're expressing yourself in a way that's making it really hard for me to listen. So I'm wondering if we could both just take a moment to calm ourselves for a minute because I do want to hear what you have to say. So here's what I'm hearing. But I need to ask you actually to turn the volume down a little bit so I can actually hear you. So sometimes, lots of times we, we can make a request and that will change people. Sometimes we have to say, "Hey, if you keep being aggressive towards me, I'm going to be aggressive towards you." And you know that's where where that's going to take us. So occasionally matching the aggression can be helpful, but more often than not, just requesting a little bit, let like let's come into relationships so we can hear one another. When I get upset like that, my my son, who's uh, thirty, he says to me, he has Down syndrome, and he always says to me, "Easy windmill, easy windmill." <laughs> That very helps nice. a
0: lot. Very nice. Very nice. I want you to rate each other about compassionate listening. <laughs> so what are the strengths and what are the shortcomings of your partners in compassionate listening? Do
2: you mean sort of between between us, what we uh, found? Y- y- yeah,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> it depends on the day, Sarah
3: huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sarah likes a little conflict.
1: You know? yeah. You're going to see her a little bit.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm a journalist. What's like? <laughs> yeah, what can you say? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I will say conflict I'm, is exciting. You know.
1: Yeah, and I don't know about a grade, but I mean, so Diane and I both live in Salt Lake City, so we interact a good amount. And you know, I've been trained by Diane, and I'm also a young person and I'm ambitious and whatever and we had a bit of a a misunderstanding or a difference between us in terms of um, me wanting to do my thing versus doing something together especially in the context of this book I was like I want to do my thing you know (laughs) and she was great in receiving me and then simultaneously she also gave me a challenge and I listened and tried to receive that challenge so for me, I think I just want to like kind of uplift the, the dynamism that, that at least I experience in my relationship with Kim and I, where there's a lot of give and take, and that allows for more challenge to be in the space. So if I could give that a whole grade, I think we do pretty good.
0: <laughs> yes, I think you're doing it very good. So Kim, what is the shortcomings of the other partners or what do you praise them for?
2: Uh, I think for Diane, I would just, I would praise her boundless capacity sort of to be present. And sometimes when I'm in my own, you know, experience, I can feel like I'm ricocheting off myself, right? You know, because the feelings are strong. Um, And sitting in Diane's presence and being able to share just feels incredibly spacious. That's what I would praise her for. If there's a shortcoming, sometimes I think it's not so much a shortcoming, but it's maybe just... It's about my reticence because I grew up in British kind of British socialized world but then also in Chinese, Chinese informed socialized world and so um, sometimes I feel like it's I'm a little slower to like speak up and, and cut in and sometimes I don't know if it's so much a shortcoming because I also know it's Diane's cultural circumstance and maybe just like her birth order and who she was in her family that um, sometimes I notice myself folding to that. And because we, and this is kind of interesting because Diane is also our teacher for Gabe and I, I think to me it's not shortcoming because I feel like we can consciously talk about it together. And that's the real gift in our relationship. I think all three of us, like I really trust us that it's okay to bring this stuff up. You know, it, it makes it like less taboo, you know? I With thought the- you were gonna say that
3: I'm impolite and always interrupting you, Kim. <laughs>
2: It seems helpful when you say it. You know?
3: I
0: exactly <laughs> wanted to say exactly the same thing. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Just talking over the top of her as she's trying to speak. Yeah. Okay. So
0: in the book, this is, uh, um, Diane, I wanted to give you a space. So what would you would you think that these uh, came and gave need to improve or or what are their shortcomings or what are their strengths or what are, what is yours in the relationship in this?
3: In well, the- I would say for all of us, our strengths can be our weaknesses depending on mm-hmm. what's happening. So my authenticity and my emotional quickness is, can be, Chaotic and difficult. I would say for Kim that she has a very natural and a uh, real availability to experience both the pain of others and also their dilemmas. And she's very good at reflecting that. And maybe once in a while she feels a little bit too responsible for that, possibly, like she's supposed to do something for them. So I would say maybe that. And then with Gabe, I would say just in relationship, he likes excitement like all males do. I mean, all people do, but he he likes excitement. And I think for him, sometimes, I mean, his strength is, of course, that he really is able to keep a conversation balanced in terms of listening and accomplishing and um you know keeping the ball moving down the field you might Mm -hmm. say and every so often he has to kick back and just really really empathize and take his time absolutely yeah it's a little Mm -hmm. more challenging yes so if i can and they uh, don't give they just need to listen to me more often and give me more praise basically (laughs) Of
1: course,
3: (laughs) of course. Okay, so in the in
0: chapter four, intimacy with identity, you are suggesting basically four stages, the egocentricism, ethnocentricism, and word centricism, identity, and also uh, cosmocentricism. Is it possible or doable to move from one intimate identity to the next? Is it fluid? Or when we are stuck in egocentrism, we're just stuck there and we are not going to move in any any other stages?
3: Mm-hmm. Yes, Diane. Well, so I'm thinking a little bit about what you shared about your group and how you have these uh, different identities, um, Jewish and Muslim women who are together, and that Each person in the room probably has a a pretty well-developed egocentric identity. They know what they like. They know what they want. They know what they need. And they can let that go and attend to their own group. And certainly a group of Jewish women know how to take care of one another. A group of Muslim women know how to take care of one another. And then there are moments where they can drop that identity and they can move into taking care of people who are different than they are. Like that you can take care of each other. You can take care of people on the podcast. You can take care of all kinds of different people. And then there are moments in the the evening when your work's done and you're quiet and you've been in a state of meditation or prayer and you can feel the presence of the divine and you can feel that your life is complete. And you can feel that space and time are much more expansive than what we normally know. And then under stress, clunk, we become more egocentric. When there's tension between groups, clunk, we become more ethnocentric. Because there's nothing, groups really, it's easy for us to move from cosmic or world-centric to ethnocentric as soon as there's a difference, because our groups have always been our place of safety. So we have the capacity for these identities. We move through them in stages where our circles of care and understanding become greater and greater. But under stress, we all tend to collapse and protect ourselves and protect those like us. Does Absolutely. And Sarah as a way of thinking about it.
0: Yes. Yes. You put it beautifully. Gabe, why should we read compassionate conversations?
1: Uh, it'll assuage my ego. Number one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> number two. I, I think that, again, I think I want to go back to the choice. Like to pick up this book is to make a choice um, to be compassionate in the world. And sometimes, I'll speak for myself, I've always felt some kind of cost to my current identity when I make that choice to, to show up in a different way that might result in a different outcome. And it might not. But again, more often than not, I've, I'm always changed when I've made that choice in a conversation. So if that appeals to you, and if this moment of the pandemic, of this Racial justice, awakening, it's been pretty global in my experience. There's so many transformative, catalytic energies in our culture that to make this choice in this moment is very powerful. So if that appeals to you, then I would encourage you to check out this book and the practices will support you in staying true to that commitment through a
2: conversation that you're in.
0: Kim, why should we read Compassionate Conversations?
2: I really appreciate what you're saying just now, Gabe. And I. so if I can add something, I think it would be around um, around our aspirations, like to kind of take pause to ask ourselves the what for question. And I think that many of us carry within us like a dream, a desire for things to be a little bit different from what we currently experience suffering through. Maybe that's just a natural human tendency to want to alleviate suffering. And I would add to that a want to alleviate injustice. And I think we're, if I can you know, theorize about the moment that we're in, I think we're asking ourselves questions about what is right and wrong and how are we agreeing to treat one another even as the outer structures are shaking. Or the outer circumstances shaking, like how are we going to talk to each other, even with that being the case? Um, just to give like an example, I was I was reading a little bit about Nigeria this morning and the protests that are happening there against like police brutality, and you know just like that tussle back and forth. And here, based in the states, which is not my my home place, I'm also observing this tussle back and forth. And so I can't help but notice that the questions of justice and ethics and the dream of who we could be. I think is really like really alive. And I would hope that this this book can be like a tool or a classroom or a playground even of like how else, what else is available for us to engage that conversation because the conversations that they need to have in Nigeria, not so different to like what we've got in in this country, you know? So, So that's what my hope is.
0: Absolutely. So please stay put with me. We are talking with the authors of Compassionate Conversations, How to Speak and Listen from the Heart. I think all of all of my authors, Diane, Gabe, and Kim, mentioned of the serious issue that we are experiencing right now in our lives. So we are facing just today 285,000 people died out of coronavirus. Almost all my family back in Tehran are infected. And we are just experiencing tremendous hardship. We have election coming. We have right now nothing is normal. So in the time of nothing is normal and lots of conflict and lots going on in our lives, what I learned is it's almost impossible to answer any conflict with conflict. It creates more conflict. So it's impossible. Answer to any conflict is non-conflict, non-violence, peace, and coming into a terms of how to get to the peace. And the basic, the basic of how to get to the peace is listening. It's listening. And it's the fact, for better or for worse, in my opinion, is the fact compassionate, compassionate conversation tells us how to do it. We have practices in the book of how to do it. And then it's, it's a good read because you learn about the authors, you learn about their vulnerability, you learn about their experiences, and you learn about if put in a difficult circumstances, how to really manage or how to manage yourself for the sake of staying human, I would say. Compassionate conversations, how to speak and listen from the heart. Diane Hamilton is Zen guru and compassionate leader. Gabe Wilson is leadership coach and peace builder. And Kim Low is coach, conflict resolution and peace specialist. You can find the book on goldtune.com Goldtoon.com is the website I manage with... With Mateen and a group of international foreign correspondents writes, uh, write for us, and we also place a Peace Mindedly podcast on goldton.com so you can buy the book on goldton.com and manage our peace journalism initiative. At the end of every program, I ask my guests to share something about peace, about kindness about compassion and I'm so grateful that the business of my guests today is exactly that I mean sharing compassion and kindness I am going to go with whoever would like to start first and then we move from there so who would like to go first
1: I, I can jump in Kate, right? it's just go a ahead. quote that I have on my desktop here from Thich Han. And he says, no single tradition monopolizes the truth. We must glean the best values of all traditions and work together to remove the tensions between traditions in order to give peace a chance.
2: Thank you so much, Gabe. Kim. Um, I wanted to share a little bit, actually, from the final chapter of our book, if that's okay. So I just like to read a few paragraphs here, um, which evoke a good feeling for me. Boundless compassion. Enhance our awareness, evolve our skills, transform our culture, and redesign our systems and institutions. It seems like an overwhelmingly tall order, and it would be if we had to do it alone, but we don't. We're in it together. Sometimes in our Zen practice, we invoke the presence of Kanzeon, known as Guanyin, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. Her name means she who hears the cries of the world. She is often represented as having a thousand arms and hands, and in the palm of each hand is an eye with which she sees each situation with clarity, precision, and wisdom. She holds many different tools and implements so that she can respond skillfully to, re- to relieve the suffering of beings everywhere. Kanzeon's capacities are unlimited, her compassion is boundless, and her care extends in all directions when we engage deeply in conversation our listening becomes like Kanzeon's. when we respond to the suffering world together we see how many arms and hands we have and how many tools are at our disposal when we all use our eyes to see we see broadly with intelligence and tremendous wisdom like Kanzeon, we have an unlimited capacity
0: i agree absolutely thank you so much you.
3: yes diane Like to just thank you so much Sarah for having us and I'd also like to just remind um, your audience that uh, peace is our deepest nature and that when we settle our differences and when we come when we become available to one another we discover that we're fundamentally the same and so that's the easiest place for us to be so thank you so much for having us excellent the easiest
0: place for us to do I love I love the expression so with everyone really appreciate for being here for being our honored guests mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and i do recommend the book compassionate conversation my my sister kept telling me why don't you show the book so it <laughs> <laughs> yes thank okay. you so thank you so much thank you martin diane and gabe thank you, and kim you. and thank have you. a wonderful day
3: Thank All right, you. Bye,
0: thank everyone. You so thank you so much. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Absolutely. Chodah halfes.